If you have your scriptures with you, turn into them into 2 Kings, 2 Kings uh, chapter 2. We're going to read this, uh, this passage that you see, uh, the first 18 verses. We've been talking about the gospel according to Elisha. I actually started the gospel according to Elijah, the prophet Elijah, back in 2013. And we did a series through that, one of my favorite uh, sermon series that I've ever done, and some of the, the, the most blessed time that I've had has been studying these prophets. And often we think of them as just historical narratives. We don't really think of what is the gospel that is contained in these narratives. And so that's my hope is that through these next few weeks we can look at what the gospel is according to these prophets. And now we're looking at Elisha. And so let's read this very, very dramatic. In fact, if you go through Scripture, there's probably a handful of very, very dramatic Uh, narratives that just seem to capture people's hearts, and this is certainly one of them. And uh, so let's read, and I'm going to read all 18 verses, it's a little long, it's printed in your bulletin, Uh, but do follow along and, and stay with the story, it's really quite amazing. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up into heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal, and Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel, and the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho, and the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said, Do you know that today the Lord will take your master from over you? And he answered, Yes, I know it. Be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they were both standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water. And the water was parted to the one side and to the other, till the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elijah, Elisha, Ask, what shall I do for you before I am taken from you? And Elisha said, Please, let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, then it shall not be so. And as they, were, as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and cried, My father, my father. 
the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and he tore them into pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. This is the word of the Lord. We'll read the last few verses uh, towards the end. This is an amazing narrative. It just doesn't get much more dramatic when you think of what is going on and uh, the, the, the real image of what happened was something that Hollywood, with all of its special effects, could never reproduce anything quite like this. The prophet Elijah and his, his uh, protege, Elisha, come up to the river And Elijah takes his cloak off and rolls it up and he slaps the water and it parts just like the Red Sea, which is exactly the image that we're supposed to have in our mind. And they cross the Jordan River and as they're talking, this amazing phenomenon occurs. It's hard to even describe, but they were parted in some way by the presence of the chariot of God and fire and these clouds and and this amazing interruption, eruption of God into time and space. And Elijah, somehow, we don't really know what happened. There's... I put out on Facebook several times this week, maybe it's in your bulletin, I don't know, pictures of this dramatic scene, but it's hard to even imagine. And Elijah is taken up, and as he goes, the cloak of this prophet is left behind. And Elisha tears his clothes and takes up that cloak and then in nothing, nothing less than a display of pure bravado, as the other prophets, these 50 prophets are watching, he walks back to the Jordan River, rolls that cloak up and slaps the water, and he says, where is the God of Elijah? Amazing. I can promise you he was not a Presbyterian. We just don't get that excited about anything. But this is meant to evoke incredible emotion in us. And we've been talking about the paradox of Scripture. Scripture provides lots of paradox. But we don't really think about what is going on before our eyes with God Almighty coming and and injecting Himself into our creation and doing these amazing things. And it can often be a paradox. How do, we, how do we hold these things in our mind at the same time? It's puzzling. It's enigmatic. We can't always understand what's going on. And last week we talked about the paradox of calling. How, how God called Elisha and through the process of His calling told us and the, and the people at that time more specifically, but also us here thousands of years later, to hope, to invest, and to sacrifice no matter what happens. 
And I told you last week, when Christ calls a man, he bids him, man or woman, he bids him come and die. The Christian life is not one in which you have your best life now, where everything just gets wonderful and wonderful. Who believes that, really? That is not the experience of anyone I know. It's hard to live in this world, whether you're a Christian or not. What Christianity provides us is hope and the promise of the presence of the chariots of God. The army of God. That God is for you. And that's what we are told here in this amazing narrative. You know, I don't know if any of you watched the funeral of the Reverend Billy Graham. Uh, I didn't watch it. Um, I watched parts of it just on social media. Uh, But by all accounts, it was extraordinary. And people eulogized him and have been and, and are continuing to do so because it marks what many are saying is the end of an era. I felt that way with the passing of Dr. Sproul a few months ago. The passing of an era. You see these great men who did live with integrity. Not the scandals you see on TV. Not the, the, uh, uh, the shameful acts of some of the religious elite that we have in our country and around the world. But, but live with real integrity and honesty. And yet they die. And people, no matter who you are, you start thinking, well, what's, what's next? There's nobody out there. Who's out there? And God told Elijah, I've reserved for myself 7,000 men who've not bowed the knee to Baal nor kissed his feet. And we have to live in hope because what this paradox of calling, what we talked about last week, leads us to is the paradox, what today we're going to talk about, of the continuation of the kingdom. Look, I'll be the first one to tell you that it's difficult to live and not get dragged down by the world around us. One of the reasons why, if you want to know why God ordained that we worship Him one day in seven, is because He knows that's about all we can take before things start to unravel. Yes? About seven days. And if you're like me, by the end of day five, your life is starting to unravel. In fact... If you come hang out with me tomorrow, by probably 5 o'clock tomorrow, it'll start unraveling. We need to be in God's presence. We need to be in the, the place where we know that He's there. And what this great text is telling us, that there is faithfulness in a faithful, faithless world. There is a gospel of Elisha. And so this morning we're going to look at this Paradox of continuing. What does it mean to continue even though great men and women leave us? What is the future? What does it look like? And we're going to look at three things very quickly. First of all, the kingdom of God requires us, it demands, it challenges us even to live a life of tenacity, perseverance. We've got to stick with it. And not give up. And it doesn't mean that you have to just have a lot of willpower. It means that you have a lot of faith in the One who never gives up. Who never lets go. You see, your strength 
is going to ebb and flow, yes? His will never ebb and flow. His is solid. And so he's saying, fix your eyes on me. If you see me when I'm taken up, then you will have the blessing you've asked for. Tenacity. We're also going to look at audacity. This whole thing of going and rolling up the, 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 the mantle, rolling up the cloak and slapping that water and challenging God and saying, where's the God of Elijah? And if there's ever been a time when the church needs to get rid of its pathetic, what Joe said this morning in Sunday school, saccharine, this sickly, View of God, who really God is. You know what? He is not impressed with your religiosity. He wants you to be honest with Him. Do you have the audacity to come into His presence with fear and trembling, with your knees knocking, maybe with your eyes a little bit down like this, but peeking, peeking up like that, and take that mantle and slap that water and say, where is you? Where is he? Do you have that kind of audacity? And if the church doesn't have that, then it has an an inauthentic view of who God really is. He wants us in relationship with him. He wants us to challenge him. And finally, the kingdom of God is going to require clarity. Very clear picture. And that's what we'll look at in those last three verses when our faith is challenged. Tenacity, audacity, and clarity. So let's look at tenacity. Look, in verses 2, 4, and 6, the narrative repeats. And when it repeats, you need to pay attention to what's going on here. Three times, the same thing happens in the three different locations. There's a lot we could say about that, but we don't have time. Elijah tells his protege, Elisha, stay here. And Elisha says, no... I'm sticking by your side. I am not going to go out of your presence. I'm not going to leave. The journey of Christian life, the journey of faith is not an easy one. If anybody tells you that it's really easy, come to Jesus, everything's going to get easy from here on out, they're lying to you. It is not going to get... Look, whether you're a Christian or not, it's not going to be easy. Life is going to be tough. It's going to deal you some cards that you may not be able to uh, manage. Now, when you're young and healthy, things are good. You know, everything's fine. But when you get older, it starts to encroach. And once you get married, things really fall apart. No, I'm kidding. You know, we're going to have challenges no matter what happens in our life. The question is... To whom will you resort? Not how well you manage those problems, but to where will you go? And you see, in this world, there were gods, many gods, hundreds of gods. Every town had a god. Every town had several gods. Baal was not one. There were Baals for every town. There was a Baal in every town. Every country had its gods. And God speaks from heaven and He said, I'm God only, there is no other God. And when life falls apart, we're supposed to say, where is the God of Elijah? Where are you? That's the honesty we're supposed to, where are you? Because He said, I'm the only one. Well, if you're the only one, then where are you? And He answers here. 
You know, Jesus knew this. Listen to what he says in Luke. This is fascinating. The days drew near for him to be taken up. Jesus. Isn't it interesting the language that Luke uses? I don't know. Maybe he had just read 2 Kings. The days drew near for Jesus to be taken up. And he set his face to go to Jerusalem. It actually says he set his face like a flint, like a rock. He would not let anything turn him from going where? To his death, to his destruction. He set his face on on the way. Here he is, he's going, his face is set, he's on his way. Someone says to him, I'll follow you, listen, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus' answer to him and everyone listening was, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to set his head. Nowhere to put his head down. Do you want to follow me? Really? Really? I ain't got nowhere. I'm homeless. You want to follow me? To another, this is the same narrative, Jesus is talking. So one of them said, I'll follow you wherever. And Jesus said, look, know what you're signing up for if you're going to follow me. To another, he said, follow me. So he went to another guy, and Jesus, one had said, I'll follow you. Jesus said, hey, know what you're getting into. But to another, he says, follow me. And the answer of this guy was, Lord, first let me go bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead. You come and follow me. Proclaim the kingdom. And it sounds very harsh, right? Why wouldn't he let him go bury? Why wouldn't he let him go to the funeral of his father? And if you want to know, I'll tell you after church. Goes a little bit further. Same narrative. It's the same paragraph in the Bible. Luke chapter 9. To another, another one came to him and he said, I'll follow you. I'll follow you. But first let me say farewell to those at home. And Jesus said this. His final answer was, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You know, when we moved to Florida, uh, it didn't get, I told you last week, it didn't get easy when Marty V and I sold our business and and moved to Florida. It was hard. It was hard to uproot and move and go and do all that stuff that we had to do. Selling and uprooting and giving up our past life, our career, our business of 20 years and our family and all the things that we had was the easy part, I told you. The hard part was getting over there and actually trusting God every day. And you know what? I'll be, I'll be very honest with you. It hasn't gotten any easier. Here we are. We're in a building. I never dreamed we would have a building like this. Never believed we would have beautiful chairs. Never believed that we would have any of this. I didn't believe. My faith is that great that I never believed any of this. But it's still a challenge every day, isn't it? Every day that you trust God is going to be a challenge. And you're going to be challenged. It's going to take tenacity. 
And that tenacity is not just strength or dint of your will, how well you can hold on. It's actually how well you can rest and trust and fold yourself into the arms of your Savior. Every day you're going to be... And the more we strive, the harder we try to, to grab hold of Him can actually work against us. Faith is looking and then resting. It is actually putting yourself in His hands. Even and especially when you don't understand. Even then, the challenges to stick and to stay. One of the problems that we have, and I'll speak about El Paso. One of the problems we have in El Paso is people come here, many of you have come here from other places. You're with the military, or you're with some company, or you've come and you just find yourself here and you wonder, what in the world has happened to me? I have landed on Mars. And so people, and, and listen, I've been here, 50, I, I was born and raised here, so I know what it is, but we've had a lot of people come through Christ the King and they go, wow, this place is really hard. This is hard. El Paso is a tough place. We will, we'll just stick it out, we'll hang in there, and, and boy, I can't wait till I can get to, and then you fill in the blank. The next destination, any destination. So, I'm going to speak very personally and I'm going to appeal to you. If that is on possibly on your horizon, maybe me leaving, don't go. Okay? Don't leave. Stay here. Sacrifice. Put up with the dust. And the, and the weird culture that we have in the Southwest. And all the rest. Put up with it. Stay here. We need you. We need the people that will stay. We need people that will stick. And if you're feeling guilty because I'm challenging you, good. No. I know some of you don't have a choice, especially our military families don't have a choice. You're going to get moved whether you like it or not. Come back. Will you come back? Come back. You will never find as good a Mexican food anywhere in the country. Never mind the rest. This is the best. And you're never going to find a church that needs you and loves you and wants you as much as we do. And you're never going to find a dry and desert place that is parched and hard, the ground, the soil hard, and you will find great satisfaction and reward working in that soil. Will you stay? Will you help us? Elisha, make no mistake, Elisha knew what was ahead of him. Why? How do we know that? Because he asked for what? What was his request? A double portion. I know what's ahead of me. I know I've got to go to El Paso. I know I've got to go to the desert. I know that I'm going to go and be challenged. Give me a double portion. I know what's ahead of me. And when Gary called, Gary and I knew each other years before we, I ever went to seminary. And when Gary and I are on the phone talking, he said, would you consider coming to El Paso? I put my hand over the phone, and I said to Marty V, would you consider going to El Paso? And Marty V said, 
send me a postcard. Have a good time. I hope you enjoy it back there. And so we came, didn't we, Gary? We came, the church invited me to come. We came, we preached, we met with people. It was great fun. Mahdi V kicking and screaming all the way. We get on the airplane. On the way back to Florida, palm trees, beach, 45 minutes away, the seminary one mile from, one mile from my house. I could go and bask in the glory of R.C. Sproul and all these wonderful scholars and go in the library and get lost in all those books. And on the way back, I told Mari V, I'm not going. There's no way. I'm going back to El Paso. And she said, I've changed my mind. I think we should go. Guess who won the argument? No. Listen, I, am, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else than here. Nowhere else. Would you? Is there anywhere else on your radar that you'd rather be than right here, right now? Say no, please. I'm insecure. Okay, good. <laughs> the challenge, folks, is tenacity. Elijah the prophet said, stay here, stay here, stay here. Each one of those places, by the way, if you were paying attention, were full of prophets, right? They were full of a lot of of great stuff going on. But that did not dissuade Elisha. Elisha said, "Uh uh-uh, I don't care what's here. I I don't care about anything. I'm sticking with you. I'm going with you. I want to see those chariots. I know they're coming. I want to see that fire. I know it's coming. I want to see the glory of God. I know it's there. And nowhere else I want to rather be. And that brings us to audacity. Verse 9, look at it. What shall I do for you? You see, they're walking along. They're just having a conversation. What shall I do for you? I want a double portion. I want a double portion. And, and Elijah says, you've asked for a hard thing. <laughs> Make no mistake. Elijah knew who he was. He knew how great he was. And he still dressed in camel hair and ate bugs, for goodness sakes. But he knew how great he was. And he says, you want a double Really? Yeah, I want a double portion. And then all of a sudden, bang, here it comes. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Weight of Glory, if you've not read C.S. Lewis, you should. And this is one of his best little books, The Weight of Glory. He said this, I love this quote. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea. We are far too easily pleased. See, we don't have the audacity 
that I think God wants us to have. It's not pride, folks. Audacity, when you're talking about God, when you really know who He is and who you are, and you come to Him and you call out to Him and you say, give me a double portion. Pour out your Spirit. Bring revival. Bring the fire of God down. Bring your holiness down. Let us see your glory. When you're doing that, you're putting 100% faith in Him and very little in yourself. When we play around with our expectations, we say, I don't want to ask too much. I don't want to expect too much. I don't want to go too far because it might be pride. That's pride. Identify it. That's pride. Who do we think we are holding Him back? I have to ask myself the same question every day. Who do we think we are? Do we really know who we're talking about? You've asked a hard thing. But, he says, if you see me, you see, this is the paradox of sight. If you see me, you'll get it. Now we think, well, some, something magic is going on. Well, you know, if he just gets to see. The, the interesting thing is, if you've read the, the narrative of Elisha and Elijah, Elisha ended up blind. Do you all know that? Do you all remember the story? Elisha ends up later in life, he's blind. But there's several places where he's blind, but what? He actually sees. You know, the army, one of the armies came to get him because he was telling secrets to the king of Israel. He was telling what was going on in the king of Syria. He was saying, you know what, they're planning these, these maneuvers over there and they're going to go here and they're going to put their army there. And, and Elisha, Elisha would go and tell the, the king of Israel and the king of Israel would be able to deploy his troops in a way that they would defeat them. And the king of Syria was going nuts. He said, ah, what is going on here? So he sends his army to go kill Elisha. And Elisha's assistant is very nervous. He says, oh my God, the, the, the army of Syria is out here. They're going to kill us. And Elisha said what? If you've read the story, Elisha tells his, servants, the, his servant, those that are with us are more than them. And then he prays, Lord, open his eyes. And the servant opened his eyes. And he looks around and there's the chariots of God. The one that, the, look, God sent one chariot to go get Elijah. He sent a whole army to protect Elisha. And although he was blind, yet he could see. See, folks, Jesus spoke about eyes to see, ears to hear. There is a double vision of people of faith. We have eyes of faith. If you see me, you'll get it. Will you look? You see, look around. Look at your life. And I would challenge you, I would say if you, if you really look, you will see God's hand everywhere in your life. Yes? You'll see Him moving, even in the suffering, like that beautiful song. I can't, I can't sing that song without getting emotional every time we sing it. Blessed be your name. Even in the times of suffering, even when things are not going right. Look, if you open your eyes, if you only have eyes to see, you would see the chariots of God there for you. God's power and presence is not always just visible to everything and everybody. You have to have eyes of faith to trust Him. 
especially when you're on the journey over there to the other side of Jordan. Now, the wilderness side of Jordan is where they were going, where the wilderness is. And when Elisha came back, he was coming back into the promised land. He was retracing the steps of the Exodus, proclaiming the kingdom of God present for us, double portion for us. And even though we buried the Reverend Billy Graham, and even though we've uh, buried Dr. R.C. Sproul, and we buried Dr. John Stott some years ago, and Dr. Packer is on his last legs, and all these great men of faith, who many of you know and some don't, maybe you don't know, we know the kingdom of God will continue because He has promised. And it takes radical faith. It took his clo- he took His cloak. Wow. What kind of audacity is that? Not pride. But he says, where is the God? You know John Knox, some of you know, John Knox is our great patron saint. Uh, We have patron saints in Protestantism. You know that, right? You don't? Yes, we do. Where's Danielle? Cut that out of the audio, right? (laughs) Don't put that on the internet. (laughs) But we have another great patron. The patron saint of the Presbyterians is John Knox because he traveled to Geneva and he studied under Calvin. He was a Roman Catholic priest. Then he goes back to Scotland and, uh, and, and created Presbyterianism in Scotland. And uh, he would pray. This is his famous prayer. You all have heard it. He would pray to God, Give me Scotland or I die. Give me Scotland or I die. In other words, if you don't give me Scotland, I'm going to die. Pretty audacious for a Presbyterian. See, he hadn't become a Presbyterian yet. He was still just okay. Give me Scotland or I'll die. To the point, and his revival of, of Scottish Presbyterianism and the gospel in Scotland, bringing the Reformation to Scotland, was so radical that, that Queen Mary, the Queen of, they called her Queen of Scots, said... Very famously, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the assembled armies of Europe. And I came to El Paso and I prayed this prayer. Give me El Paso or I die. And God said, go ahead and die. (laughs) Now, I want you to pray that prayer with me. Give us the city or we'll die. That's how important it is. Give me a passion for my city. Give me a love for my church, for my, for my people, my tribe. Let me get out. Love, make, give me a love for our neighborhood. Here God's planted us in this beautiful neighborhood. Give us a love for this neighborhood so we can reach out, make a difference. We finally, after all these years, folks, Christ the King, folks, we have a home. God's planted us here. Give us the west side or we die. You can give the east side to Tito and those guys. We'll split it up. But you're going to need clarity. Tenacity, audacity, and clarity. Look at what happened here. These are these, these last few verses in chapter 2. And I invite you to look in your, in your bulletin. You'll see, them, you'll see them there. Verses 15 through 18. Let me read them real quick and then we'll finish. Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, he was coming across the Jordan, they said, wow, 
that's not in your Bible. <laughs> but certainly it should be. Wow! The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and they bowed to the ground before him. Here's all these great prophets. That, and they see Elisha has got the spirit of Elijah on him. And so they bow down to him. He's the man. That's not in your text either. Um, and they said to him, Behold now, we are fifty uh, of your servants, strong men. Please let us go and seek your master. It may be that the Spirit of the Lord has caught them. See, they had kind of ridiculous thinking here. That maybe the Lord caught him away and he's cast him on some mountain or some valley. We need to go find him. And he told them, they just bowed down to him, and he said, you shall not send. But they insisted, and they pressured him. I won't read the rest because we're out of time. To the point that Elisha became ashamed, and he said, go ahead, go ahead and look for Elijah. You're not going to find him, but go ahead. So they sent men, they looked, they came back and said, you're right, we didn't find him. And he says to them, didn't I tell you? Didn't I tell you? If you listen to me today and you say, no, I'm gonna, I am going to cling to the Lord. I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. I'm going to take up the challenge. I'm going to ask God to give me whatever or I die. I'm going to hold to Him that fa- I'm going to trust Him that much. You're going to get challenged. And often, folks, the challenges come from our own people, our own tribe. Churches are littered with the bodies of those we have slain. And Elisha had this rare mixture of boldness. Don't go. He's not there. Don't go. Stay here. But he was also very meek. Okay, go ahead and go. But he's not there. He had this incredibly bold mixture. And I'll tell you, to be a Christian... To be a Christian, a person of faith, you're going to have to have that same kind. You know, they said of Billy Graham that before the whole time preparation for the Crusades and everything and going up right to the moment before he stepped into the pulpit, he was shy and meek as a mouse. Did you watch the funeral? People talking about him. Shy and meek as a mouse. But when he stepped into the lectern and he opened his Bible, it was like something possessed him. He became another man, bold as a lion. And the world may never see his like again. I don't know. If Elijah's ministry, listen, if Elijah if his ministry could be summed up as it was on the mountain with the prophets of Baal and he's challenging them and he says to them, to the people there, how long will you limp between two opinions? Let the God who answers by fire be God. Let's worship that God. He has that kind of audacity. If that was the ministry of Elijah summed up, let the God who answers by fire then the ministry of Elisha could be summed up by this. Where is the God of Elijah when he hits the water with his slaps it with that cloak? 
You want to know how Jesus' ministry was summed up? Listen to this. Let this sink in your heart. My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. I can do nothing on my own. I seek not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. He who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone. I always do what is pleasing to Him. Do you see? Do you see it? The mixture of unbelievable audacity and faith and trust and humility. I can't do it Myself, I can't do anything. But everything I do pleases Him. Do you see that? This amazing human being, Jesus Christ, both God and man, asking you to follow Him and saying, trust me. Trust me. Let's go. Let's go to the river. Let's take my cross. Let's slap the water. Where's the God of Jesus? The true prophet. The true king. Where will you trust Him? I hope you will. I really do. Let's pray. Father, How we love You and thank You. We are poor creatures. Our expectations are so low. And I pray that You will give us a vision of boldness to reach out into our city. And and not just our city, but into this whole world that is crippled under the weight and terror of sin, ignorance, poverty, injustice, inhumanity, crippled and crushed. Fill us, with your, fill us with Your Spirit that we might be those people who slap that water and say, where is the God of Elijah? Where is the God of Jesus, our King? No matter what we see, where we go, Father, let us have faith knowing that You're with us. I pray you'll do it in Jesus' name, please. Amen.